Welcome to Dire Trip, where we deep dive into all sorts of spooky, horrific, or just plain weird crimes, lawsuits, and strange happenings all over the world. Without further ado, let's get into today's story. Hey there everyone, you know what kind of video this is going to be. This is the monthly compilation video. This is where I put together all of those cases I found that aren't quite long enough to be their own video, but are definitely worth talking about. So, let's get right into it. Oklahoma man arrested after leaving scene of crash that killed 16-year-old daughter in Bixby. Elliot Benny was driving home on January 11th with his wife and three children at around 9.30pm in Bixby, Oklahoma. This wasn't any sort of normal family drive, Elliot was all over the road. He was driving 70 miles per hour, passing multiple cars in a no-passing zone all during heavy rain. This was when Elliot slipped, the car flipped, and rolled over several times. One of Elliot's kids, his 16-year-old daughter named Shelby, wasn't wearing a seatbelt. She was ejected from the car and thrown down the road. Ambulances arrived and found the family, taking all of them to the hospital. All survived except for Shelby. They did all they could, but she was pronounced dead at the hospital. When I said that the family was taken to the hospital, that was a bit of a lie. One member of the family had completely vanished, that being Elliot himself. Elliot had fled the scene. He ran over to a family's home and switched cars, running from the area. The police began to investigate the scene. They found an open bottle of vodka next to the passenger door of the car, with a good swig clearly having been taken. They also found marijuana, empty pill bottles, pipes, and all manner of empty alcohol bottles in the trunk of the car. The police managed to track Elliot down electronically the very next morning in Chekataw. They got him to stop, where he came out of his car, still slurring his speech even the next day. They loaded him into the car, where he appeared pretty dazed. Elliot told the police, plainly, that he had bought the vodka on the way home and taken a good gulp before hopping in the car. Elliot was charged with leaving the scene of a collision resulting in death, first-degree manslaughter, and, to a much lesser degree, passing a vehicle in a no-passing zone. The Bigsby police chief, Todd Blish, spoke out saying, These situations are tragic in every sense of the word. As it turns out, Elliot has a pretty long rap sheet involving all sorts of vehicular crimes. In fact, he had three other charges of leaving the scene and even another DUI. He was freed on a $102,000 bond on the same day as his arrest. It isn't really known what he's up to now. Three men found dead at Kansas City home days after watching football game. Now, this story is a very strange one involving three men in their 30s, Ricky Johnson, David Harrington, and Clayton McGinney. Living out in Kansas City themselves, all three of the men went to their friend Jordan Willis's home to watch the Chiefs game one Sunday night. After that, nobody ever heard from the three men again. Given that they all went to Jordan's home, naturally he was the first person that people were going to call after all three of the men vanished. However, all of the calls to his home went unanswered for days. The friends and families of the men couldn't really wait any longer. Clayton's fiancé went over to the home two nights later, only to get no answer once again. Desperate, she broke into the home through the basement and got inside to look around. This was when she came across a horrific discovery, a body on the back porch. She then left the scene. The police were called, rushing out to the home. This is where it was reported that Jordan finally came to the door, naked from the waist up, holding a wine bottle. 
Upon a bit more investigation, they came to find two more bodies in the backyard as well. David Harrington's mother has said that Jordan plainly told the police that his friends must have frozen to death. Jordan, the man living at the home, hasn't been charged with any sort of crime. The police say that there weren't any signs of foul play at the scene, but they are admittedly still waiting on medical examiners to shed a little more light on what went down that night. The police did obtain a search warrant for the inside of the home, but it doesn't appear that they found anything unusual. Jordan said that he didn't hear anything any of the other times people came out to his home because he had a loud fan and sleeps with earbuds in. He has said through his lawyer that he didn't have any reason to go into the backyard, both because he had been working often and because it had been snowing. Friends and family have voiced their frustration online, writing comments such as, This man was inside his home alive while my friends were dead in his yard for lord knows how long. They were all hanging out since after the game Sunday. He knew people were looking for them. Another wrote, He read messages of people searching for him on Tuesday. My husband banged on his door for 20 minutes. My friend banged on his door and then busted a window and yelled and announced her presence while she's inside and still nothing from him. Then the cops came 10 minutes later and he comes out nonchalant in his boxers with an empty wine glass in hand. Another friend said, Three men do not just go outside and freeze to death while the owner of the home, their friend, stays inside and only when police show up comes outside in boxers like you've just been chilling for two days while your three friends are dead outside. Make noise here, people. This story is not okay. He had been contacted for over 24 hours prior about where our friends were and also their car is still parked at his house and didn't reply to anyone. Jordan's attorney has said that he was close friends with all three of the men and had nothing to do with their deaths. He also said that Jordan had no knowledge that they were in his backyard or needed any medical attention. He also didn't know when they left his home or how they died. He said that he simply saw the three men leaving the house that night and went to bed. The family of Ricky Johnson, who was a married father with three kids, has started a GoFundMe page in order to help out with the funeral expenses. If you can, please throw a few bucks their way and help out. I'm posting a link down there in the description and in a pinned comment. The toxicology reports on the three men could take weeks to come back. I guess we'll just have to see how it goes for now. Let me know your theories in the comments. Update. So, just since I recorded this video, a lot has come out. It turns out that the homeowner, Jordan Willis, was known as the chemist in high school. He had a history of making and mixing drugs for his friends. The cousin of one of the dead said, Jordan's the chemist. Jordan is somebody that is known from high school as, like, creating drugs for people to make them feel better in certain situations. They all knew him as that. The police have told the families of the victims that they had very high levels of drugs in their systems, including three times the lethal dose of fentanyl as well as THC and cocaine. A 30-pack of beer had also been purchased. The consensus among the families is now that drugs were likely responsible. The current most prevalent theory is that the men were simply so zonked that they passed out and froze to death outside. Jordan Willis, despite saying he had been going to work previously, admitted that he had been passed out cold from the substances for a full two days before the police arrived. With the whole country looking at him as a murderer, he's taken this as a serious wake-up call. He has since moved out of his home, put his things into storage, and went into rehab. This one is... Retired judge killed by son after he refused sleeping pill. 
Alfred Carnes, the son of an FBI agent, was a retired judge living in Austin, Texas with his wife Susan, who is a retired elementary school teacher. Both were known as pillars of their community. What people didn't know, though, was that their son was a bit off. Their 45-year-old son, Seth Carnes, was living with his elderly parents. According to Seth himself, his mother was trying to make him take a sleeping pill. He didn't want to take it. He says that she tried to put it into his mouth despite his wishes. So he went back into the garage that his parents had converted into an apartment for him and grabbed his Remington 870 shotgun that he kept in the nightstand. He went back to his mother and shot her in the left shoulder and collarbone. He then turned to his father and shot him in the left side of the chest, also injuring his arm and elbow. Seth's own daughter ended up calling 911, telling the operator that her father had just shot her grandfather. Police rushed out to the scene, surprised to see Seth coming out the door, seeming very chill, holding a cup of coffee with one hand and waving with the other. He casually told them that he had just killed his parents. The police entered into the home to find Alfred dead on the living room floor with a single spent shotgun shell near the kitchen. Further inside, they found Susan lying on the ground in her son's bedroom. Paramedics did what they could, but they couldn't save them. The police weren't really sure what to make of all of this, simply stating, The preliminary investigation suggests that the murders resulted from a disagreement, escalating into family violence and death. Seth Carnes is now being held in the Williamson County Jail without bond. He was charged with capital murder and the killings of his parents, both of which were 74 years old. Given that this is Texas, he could be facing a death sentence. At this point, it's all but guaranteed that he'll end up with a life sentence at the very least. Here we've got, Woman Arrested for Using Vibrator on a Georgia Beach Found Dead. Here's a very strange story that happened back in July of 2021 in an area of Georgia called Tybee Beach. A family was on the beach at around 5.30pm when they could hear a woman moaning, clearly enjoying herself. This was when they saw her using a tool upon her junk right there on the beach. It lasted for several awkward minutes until the family finally decided to call the police, and that's when the woman ran off to a local restaurant. The woman who called the police was able to show them a video that showed the whole incident with the woman going ham on her ham right there on the beach. It didn't take too long for the police to find the woman, 34-year-old Christina Revels Glick, that very day. Body cam footage was taken of the arrest, where Christina told the police that she was simply lying down on her towel, nothing more. The police asked to search her bag, causing her to admit that, yes, she was having some fun, but said that it was only for about 20 seconds or so. She said that she was just trying to relieve some stress. But then she started to break down once the cops slapped the cuffs on her before taking her away from the beach. Problem is, once the story broke and the body cam footage leaked, it ended up getting over 2.5 million views all over social media. Christina, charged with indecent exposure and disorderly conduct, apologized and said that she didn't think anyone had seen her. She was facing up to a year in prison, but it seems she got away without much damage. Aside from humiliation, she had managed to dodge the consequences. However, this case would take a tragic turn months later. What seemed like a sad case of internet ridicule was actually much deeper and just sad. Christina's landlord had failed to contact her over the phone time and time again after she failed to pay the rent for her apartment in Hinesville, Georgia. So this landlord decided to go out to her home and meet up with her in person. 
Getting no response, she peeked inside to see a blood trail leading all over the home. Going inside, she found Christina's badly decomposed body. She panicked and called the police. The police estimated that she had been dead for quite some time when she was found, about 30 days at the least. A lot of people online immediately came to the assumption that she must have ended her own life due to the previous online humiliation. This was the story for quite a while as it seemed to make the most logical sense. However, it was Christina's own family who came out to set the record straight. They felt that her death had very little to do with the beach incident. They revealed that she had long been on a downward spiral of drinking and abusing drugs. They said, in their own words, that she had went off the rails when her marriage ended just six months after her most recent child was born, which she had three of. She went out to Florida, got arrested, went to prison, and came back. Surprisingly, her husband took her back after all of that, but she had changed. Despite once being a very well-off university graduate, she had fallen in with a pretty bad crowd. She had numerous run-ins with the law in both Georgia and Florida. In fact, she was avoiding Florida due to being a fugitive there. This was after she had stolen a car just a few years prior. The same year as the beach incident, she had been arrested multiple times for public intoxication. She also had several lawsuits against her for unpaid rent, property damage, and stolen property. She was barely even in contact with her family anymore at the time of the beach incident, living alone in squalor. Here we've got, man shot roommate to death in argument over remote. In a case that took place in Springdale, Maryland, a 38-year-old man named Richard Benaugh was sleeping in his apartment. That was until his roommate, Scott Hayes, repeatedly started making a lot of noise at about 5.30 a.m. Richard said that he tried to ignore Scott, but soon enough Scott came up behind him and asked him where the TV remote was. Richard claims that he took the blankets off from over his head to see Scott holding two large knives. Upon seeing this, he pulled out his own gun and aimed it at his housemate. Seeing that it was now getting all Wild Wild West style in his apartment, Scott backed off, saying to Richard, You won't shoot. That is when Richard claims that he said, There's only one way to find out, and fired at Scott. That's where the case goes from unbelievable to stupid. Richard then says that Scott ran upstairs to his own bedroom. Richard, upon seeing bullet holes but no blood, said that he felt Scott was probably fine and went back to bed. Later on, he woke up and drove out to a friend's house to tell him all about what had happened. They then went to a marijuana dispensary together and bought some goods to smoke. Richard went back to the home with his items and decided to clean up the bullet casings and flush them down the toilet. Given that my toilet can't even handle a Q-tip, that's quite a feat on its own. He then swept up the dust from the hole-punched drywall and called it good. It wasn't until several of his friends urged him to call 911 that he decided to do so. The police came out to the apartment to find Scott dead in his bedroom, face down on the ground with a knife in each hand and a third in his waistband. Richard insisted that he shot him in self-defense, but admitted that he decided to get some sleep, go to a friend's house, go buy some weed, and then come back home before he bothered calling them. He was charged with manslaughter, assault in the first degree, assault in the second degree, and possession of a firearm as someone convicted of a violent felony. And now we've got, Pastor tried to push wife's co-worker into McDonald's deep fryer. 
Here we have a story from High Point, North Carolina, in which a woman was working at a local McDonald's when she got herself into a little bit of a bind. She was working as a new manager in training when another employee was disrespecting her, as she put it. She called her husband, a 57-year-old pastor named Dwayne Waden, who quickly drove out and came to her defense. The pastor picked the disrespectful employee up by his collar and punched him in the face. He then held him down on the counter and attempted to push his entire head into the deep fryer. He wouldn't stop until several other employees freaked out and pulled him away. The victim suffered a large gash across his forehead and right eye, along with some scratches along his neck from the countertop. Police were pretty surprised to see that this man was the pastor of Elevated Life International Ministries and a respected truck driver here on CCTV laying the smack down on a McDonald's employee. He was quickly arrested on an assault charge and released on a $1,000 bond. His wife was subsequently fired from her job very shortly after. And now we've got... Ohio woman charged after pretending her daughter had cancer to collect donations. Here we have a tale from Pleasant City, Ohio that isn't very pleasant. A 41-year-old woman named Pamela Reed has been hit with some pretty heavy allegations recently in relation to her daughter's supposed cancer diagnosis. Pamela had told her daughter's elementary school upon signing her up that she was, quote, blind in her right eye and would be having a port implanted in the near future for her cancer treatments. She didn't limit these comments to the school, posting much of the same rhetoric on Facebook, speaking often about her daughter's battle with cancer. This is when the money really started rolling in. Several local organizations started making an effort to help Pamela, her daughter, and their family out with medical expenses. This included a fat $8,000 check in order to help out with the cancer treatment expenses. However, things took a wild turn when all of the students in the daughter's school were required to take a routine eye exam. The young girl, likely unaware that she had to fake being blind in one eye, performed just fine on the vision test. The school was also concerned that she had missed about 280 hours of school by January, which is roughly 35 days of class. A school administrator took the initiative to call a healthcare provider who had seen the daughter in the past, who seemed to be a bit confused. This provider confirmed that the girl didn't have, and never had, cancer or leukemia. This was when the school decided to contact both the police and children's services to inform them of what was going on. The police went out on January 8th to give Pamela a bit of questioning. During this, she openly admitted that her daughter didn't have cancer and never did, fully admitting to altering documents from her healthcare provider and sending them to the school. She also admitted to shaving her daughter's head in order to make it appear that she was on chemotherapy and said that she did all of this simply because she enjoyed the support she was given as a result. Pamela was swiftly arrested and hit with a charge of theft by deception, a felony in the fourth degree. Her bond was set at $50,000, and it appears that she was unable to pay, as according to news media, she has remained in jail. If she is convicted, she's going to face up to 18 months in prison. Both the daughter in this story and Pamela's other child, age 10, were taken from her custody over concerns for their safety. At this point, it isn't really clear if they're with relatives or with state custody. It isn't likely that anyone's going to be making any donations towards Pamela's bail anytime soon. And here we've got Washington, D.C. police searching for man who allegedly lit another man on fire. 
Here we are in the capital of the United States, Washington, D.C. This is where the police are looking for a man who partook in a particularly brazen crime just one mile north of the Capitol building. On a Monday afternoon at about 3 p.m., a man took out some sort of liquid he was keeping in a clear bottle and poured it all over another man at the intersection of North Capitol Street and P Street Northwest. He then pulled out a lighter, lit the man on fire, and ran off as he panicked and struggled. Police aren't really sure of the motive in the attack and don't even know if the two people knew each other. What they are able to say is that the victim was sent to a local hospital with some pretty severe injuries. The police soon released a statement saying, The Metropolitan Police Department currently offers a reward of up to $10,000 to anyone who provides information that leads to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for a violent crime committed in the District of Columbia. If there's any chance that someone watching this video right now recognizes the suspect here, you should call the police at the number on screen or text their tip line. Who knows, you might get a pretty nice reward. And this one is, New Mexico man arrested after police find dozens of diamonds in anal cavity. Now here's the tale of a lovely man out in the state of New Mexico who is facing some odd charges. This all started when he was caught riding a motorcycle without a license plate, leading to other things. The police spotted a 23-year-old man, Eusebio Padilla, driving down the road on a motorcycle with no license plate. They pulled him over and noticed that he clearly had a knife on his possession. After seeing that, they decided to pat him down. After the pat down, the police walked away momentarily. When they looked back at the suspect, they realized that he was really digging into his ass. In fact, it appeared that he was trying to pull something out of it. Well, it seems that they helped him with this little endeavor as they managed to see exactly what he was trying to get, a literal buttload of diamonds. 44 diamonds, to be exact. When questioned, Padilla said that he had gotten them from his uncle who, quote, usually has stolen items. He said that he was hoping to trade the juicy jewels for some drugs. Shortly after, he was arrested on charges of both receiving stolen property and tampering with evidence. It doesn't seem like he has an attorney. And now we have, Florida woman used ants dog's urine for court-mandated drug test. Did you really think we'd get through a whole video without a Florida case? There's no chance of that happening. This one is a short, sweet, and juicy one. A 42-year-old woman in Florida named Jessica Beattie had previously been arrested and released after possessing some drug paraphernalia and driving with a suspended license. As a result, she was subject to some random drug test as a condition of her parole. Well, it seems that Jessica wasn't too diligent in avoiding drugs, as she panicked and had to find a way to pass her test. Somehow, she was able to collect a bottle of pee from her aunt's dog right before the test. She handed that in, hoping that she would get away with it. That wasn't the case. She was caught, and pretty easily. It wasn't clear how exactly, but she was out of luck. Jessica admitted to collecting a bottle of hot dog piss and attempting to pass it off as her own. She then provided a valid example of her own nectar and was promptly arrested. It doesn't seem like she passed the test, not to mention the fact that she just tried to pass off a fake sample. She was booked into the Pineless County Jail, where she remains on a $500 bond. And now... 
Father, who hasn't stopped breaking wind since he ate a ham roll at a Christmas market five years ago, sues for £200,000. Here we have one of those bonus stories that isn't really necessarily a crime, but it is a lawsuit, so I'm gonna go ahead and throw it in. I can't leave it out, and you'll see why. This case involves a man out in the UK who, after eating a ham roll five years ago, hasn't stopped farting since, and he's ready to sue. The story all started when 46-year-old Tyrone Prades went to a Christmas market in Birmingham with his wife and kids. There, he bought a ham roll at a stand and chowed down. And then he farted, and farted again, and farted again. And he continued to do so for the rest of his life up until this point. Within hours, he claims he was hit with stomach pain, a fever, and diarrhea. He says that he was bedridden for a whole five weeks after. Even after getting out of bed, he said that his gas is so frequent and so horrible that it wakes him up at night, disrupting his sleep, and frequently embarrasses him in public. His lawyer, surprisingly, yeah, he did find one that would take this case, says that, even though his sickness subsided, his stomach continues to churn and cause him endless farts and great embarrassment. The lawyer says, The symptoms are, primarily, fatigue and altered bowel function associated with churning within his abdomen and flatulence. The barrister also chimed in, saying, The extent of the symptoms has been life-changing. It seems that the case mostly hinges on whether or not Tyrone had contracted salmonella after eating the ham roll. It has been said that there were other customers who felt ill as well, but not quite to this extent. It seems that E. coli had been found on a knife at that stall, but no salmonella. So it'll probably be an uphill battle to prove that he ever had it in the first place. Either way, Tyrone is aiming to sue the operator of the stand, who denies all blame for £200,000. This case actually will be going to trial later on. We'll have to see how it goes. Once again, this has been your host, Kyle. Thank you very much for listening to today's podcast episode. Feel free to look through my huge library of other stories if you found this one interesting, and be sure to be there for the next stories that come out each and every week. Have a good night.